Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Alyssa Gadeski. We're currently on a two-week break, but we hand-selected a couple of our favorite episodes from the year in case you missed them or just want to re-listen. And mark your calendars. January 12th will be our first new episode of 2023. If you have any questions in the meantime, be sure to write into our mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Have a great New Year's, Haley. I love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura and I'm joined by my co-host who most recently finished a loop of the Barkley Marathon. Alyssa Gadeski, I'm so glad you're back. You're not lost in the woods. How how are you doing? Haley, I'm doing well. I'm happy to be home. It was a long journey there. It felt like I was there for a month. <laughs> Um, and then it was a long journey back home. And so I am slowly kind of coming out of that like post woods haze and I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to talk to you all about it. I am excited to not be exercising that much this week because I have plenty of things on my body to be taken care of after even just a loop and a loop in four books. I do want to put that on the record, a loop in four books. Well, we want to hear all the details about all of your time in at Frozen Head State Park uh, down in Tennessee and doing that iconic race. And we are going to get to that. So I know our listeners are eagerly, eagerly anticipating that. But um, before we do that, I uh, I am assuming, you know, you were you were been traveling, you've been out in the woods, you didn't even have GPS, let alone uh streaming services, but we've had a lot of, there's been a lot of racing going on actually recently. And so were you back in time to catch any of, uh, or I guess before you left, did you catch any of the couples championship and were you back in home in time to see any of clash Miami? You know, on both ends, I got occasional, like I was following it from a high level. Maybe I would say I was Twitter following it. So no, I wasn't following it too closely. And I am excited to hear kind of, uh, your perspective. Did you get to watch things more in depth? Did, what did you think? Um, yeah. Give me every, oh. give me all those details I missed. I watched everything. I <laughs> watched everything. So first up the couples championship, I, uh, I loved, I loved the premise of this race. I think it, we talked to, uh, Rachel Olson, uh, was that just last week? <laughs> I'm like weeks time, ago, I think, but yeah, a couple weeks. Yeah. So we talked to Rachel Olson and, um, we, you know, kind of got a preview of what that would look like. I, I thought it was just a fun premise having, you know, couples, um, pro triathlete couples race together and each did a sprint distance, uh, in Florida first prize, a hundred thousand dollars, huge first prize. I think, Second place was like 20 and then third place was 10. So it was a pretty steep drop off. So, uh, when that pass was made, I think when, uh, non Stanford passed Kirsten Casper for first place, that was like a, that's a big, big $80,000 pay difference. So, uh, interesting racing, of course, non Stanford and Aaron Royal won. second place was Kirsten Casper, Matt Sharp. And I think it was Marjolaine Pierre and, Clement Mignon from France. I think uh, Marjolaine had a late pass of Paula Finley. So it was, it was exciting. I would say the coverage, I know that there was like, it, it, it showed me how difficult it is to, to show a triathlon. It is very hard. I think uh, the aerial shots were beautiful. I mean, it looked very beautiful, but it definitely is, is hard to show the triathlon action. And I did see that at the end of it, uh, the first place, well, I guess the the podium team's got a pretty good payday, but also there was a good payday to charity too coming out of that, which I think is a great thing um, coming out from a new event like that. I think it, you know, it's always cool to see giving back to the communities and stuff like that. And I think that was like a big kind of push within the race. So that's that, that part I did see. Okay. So yes, I, that one, I, I maybe need, I was admittedly, I was riding the bike while I was watching. So I probably didn't get a hundred percent focused on everything, but the charity relay, it was Brooke Bennett swimming, 
Phil Guyman riding. And then the run, I think one loop was run by Ash Gentle and then one loop was run by Gwen Jorgensen. So I think that that was like split up because Ash's partner, uh, Josh Amberger, didn't make it into the US, his visa, he had a visa issue. And so I think they had her run on the relay instead. And so I... I don't know exactly why the relay ended up, um, but I know that there were like five different charities that did receive money. So <laughs> I'm assuming I, the yeah, relay I did at least one picture with a big check for charity. So that's good. <laughs> yes, there was there was a lot of money given to charity, but again, kind of a cool event. And I just I thought it was it was entertaining, kept me busy on the bike. And speaking of Ash Gentle, then she went on to take the big win at Clash Miami just this past weekend. So. I followed that race a lot too. I was, I was, uh, it was like Friday. So I got out of the pool, had some coffee and then tuned in and that women's race, Alyssa, did you see it? Uh, again, no, I was, I was driving back. So in the car, I was not able to watch, but I was able to follow on Twitter and all I saw, it just seemed like drama, drama, drama. It was basically, it was like Ironman Coeur d'Alene last year, like surface is on hot kind of like carnage. But we're seeing this in a short race on a racetrack. That was just the wildest thing. I haven't seen a short, you know, a race that's where the winner went under three hours. And yet it was major carnage. I mean, I hope Sarah Perez, who we had on the show, you know, a few weeks ago, she had a bad crash. She was leading and she had a bad crash. Uh, I know Dee Dee Griesbauer had a tire sidewall blowout and just wild stuff. Emma Pallant just like laid down. Chelsea Cesaro got into a car. Um, Pamela Oliveira, who was uh, in second place, ran past the finish line and had to turn around and go back and then like climb over some barriers. So it was, (laughs) I've never seen a race like that. Uh, I mean, Ash Gentle, she looked great. She won Pamela second. Maya Stage Nielsen came in for third and, um, congratulations to everyone who finished that race because it looked very hard. They must've been like, man, Alyssa did the Barkley and that's so cool. Let's try and reenact the Barkley drama in Clash Miami. <laughs> I know exactly. It was, it was like, I just, it was like, what is going on? Um, definitely a survival race. And I think it just shows, you know, early season, warm conditions, triathlon, anything can happen. And, um, the other thing I've been watching a lot of is the Paralympics. And so last summer, I definitely missed out on the summer Paralympics when I was in Slovakia. I just, you know, wasn't quite uh, tuned into the TV um, during that time. But I've been watching so much the Winter Paralympics. And did you see Kendall Gretsch, who we had on the show because she won a gold medal in paratriathlon last summer or, you know, six months ago? She won a gold in the middle distance biathlon. Another one. Like That's six so months. Awesome. Two extremely different sports six months later. Yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. That skill sets, that's really hard to do. It was it was so wild. Like I again, I'm so happy they have the coverage because I just didn't even know what parabathlon would look like and how hard it is. And just also just like because they're skiing, but all upper body. And I just am like in awe. And then also like the visually impaired skiing I thought was really fascinating. Um, like they downhill skiing going like 70 miles an hour and they have a guide in front of them who a lot of times it's interesting. It's like a sibling or sometimes it's even like husband wife combo. And I was just, I, again, I'm so thankful that that's getting more coverage because I found it incredibly motivating as I was, uh, I was prepping for my own race. Cause, oh my gosh, Alyssa, it's race week for me. Did you know that? I know I'm so well you know what I didn't know if this was like exactly race week but then you at some point uh earlier today like flashed your hands and I could see that your nails are done and I was like oh we're getting ready for race day I know, that is I, I, the neon um yeah I'm headed to challenge Puerto Varas this weekend in Chile so I'm still in the U.S. right now I'm cautiously optimistic about all the travel like my itinerary is awesome but I also know that travel these days doesn't always go super smooth so I'm like I have backup plans um I have my mobility passport all my vaccination records I got a COVID test this morning that I'm crossing my fingers comes back negative I have insurance I have um I think I have to fill out a questionnaire tomorrow I mean there's a lot so 
I, I, yeah, I mean, but I think you're going to get there. I hope so. It's in Southern Chile. It's a new race from challenge and I'm, I'm excited to do it. It looks gorgeous. It's like volcanoes and lakes. And, um, I think, you know, fairly mild temperatures, which is good for me coming from Bozeman right now, but I'm feeling pretty good. I'm just excited to get out there. Like, again, I've been motivated by Paralympics, by all these races that are starting. And I'm like, by you at Barkley and, um, I'm excited to get out there. So it's, it should be a good time. And Haley, when you get back, you'll be back just in time, I think, to catch a big feisty production. The Women's Performance Summit is happening March 25th to the 27th. And everyone, if you haven't registered for that, head to women's performance, www.womensperformance.com and register. And you can also, if you want to ask about or apply for one of the scholarships there's a lot of scholarships available so you can there's three levels of them so you can apply for the scholarships like right next to the registration you can also apply for the scholarship if you want to try that though that scholarship application is open until march 20th and then they'll let people know on the 21st so definitely don't let um price or anything scare you away apply for one of those scholarships and a lot of fun things i mean the performance summits are always a good time a lot of good information um so looking forward to that that'll be a good kind of recovery activity for you right Haley? i know that does sound like a really good recovery activity or or trainer ride activity if you're still in winter but hopefully hopefully things are trending toward warmer and you don't have to go all the way to the southern hemisphere for summer all right Haley. well i guess i can do the introduction for our guest today <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Who's who's up? Who are we talking to? We are talking to a woman who can do it all. She has done, um, let's see, like 36 Ironmans over, I think, 50 ultra marathons now. She's run 300 milers. I could just go on and on. She has two FKTs. She's done all this really cool stuff, Haley, and she made the time to come and talk to the Iron Women podcast. Oh, what a what a champ. I can't wait. Um, are we going to have our surprise mystery guest joining us right after the break? We are, yes. So stay tuned, everyone, and that'll be up next. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast to our extremely accomplished guest, Alyssa Gadaski. Oh, my goodness. You're back. You, uh, you know, I'm so excited to have you here. I, I feel like getting your full kind of, I mean, it wasn't full, but like even that partial resume just then was very, I mean, does that make you feel really good about yourself? It, um, I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, I am very proud of those things that I did. So I try to, you know, make sure that I don't downplay that too much. I try to be humble, but also like I've done some really cool stuff. So it is fun to get to talk about that every now and then. Yeah. I don't think Barkley marathons was even on that list. And that is the the focus of our conversation today, because, you know, we wanted to hear all about your recent adventure at the Barkley marathons. We talked last week, um, a little bit pre-race about how this came to happen. And you t- shared some of the, you know, pre-race jitters and what you do and didn't know. And obviously, you know a lot more. And we we uh, spoiled it a little bit, I guess, in the very beginning when we said one loop, four books. But obviously, a lot goes into one loop, four books and even what that means. So I, um, I want to start with like the beginning. We'll start with like check-in process. Like when you got there and you checked in, what was it like meeting Lazarus Lake? And did you meet Keith Dunn from Twitter? Uh, did you meet other Barkers? Did you get your map? Uh, were you excited to be number 13? Cause I know that is a special number for you. Sorry. That was like a seven part question. Are you, are you prepared for this? I think so. You might have to remind me of some of those pieces, but so what, uh, the race was starting on, on Tuesday this year, which was a little bit different. So that meant you arrive on Monday and you get very little instructions going to this race. You basically are told the race will be this day. So check-in is this day. And that's like, period. That's all you know. And so I was like, all right, I guess we then show up on Monday. So everyone camps at the campground at Frozen Head State Park. It's like closed for the race. And basically people just go. And I had heard, you know, from like asking around, you basically grab a campsite, you double up, you, everyone just has to fit in there somehow. And so um, we got there pretty early on Monday because we wanted to get in, get a spot and get set up before the rain was coming. So it was kind of a hard day on Monday with that being the pre-race day because it rained for a large portion of that middle part of the day. 
And it, you know, and I don't know how it always is. This is my first time there, but I imagine that without rain, people are kind of outside their tents more (laughs) and kind of walking around a bit more, maybe a bit more social, but it was not that social. And again, maybe it's not like that. Maybe everyone's pretty nervous and kind of doing their own thing, but, um, you basically just waited around, like, since it was raining, you'd stay in your tent. And then like every hour I was like making a lap of the campground to see what was going on. And you just wait until Laz decides that it's check-in. And then he doesn't even announce it, but at some point people just start gathering and he sits down at the table and like begins check-in. And then eventually you walk by and see the people are checking in. So then you're like, Oh, I guess now I'll check in. Right. So, um, I was doing a loop and I realized that was probably going to happen. So I was actually third in line to check in and so it was a guy, it was a woman, and then it was myself. And we're standing there. Laz is like opening his um, notebook. And the guy who's in front looks and he like turns to the woman behind him. And he's like, oh, what's your name? She tells him. And he like looks back at the notebook and then his eyes got really big. And he's like, he just gets really quiet. And she's like, looks at him. She goes, oh no, am I the human sacrifice? <laughs> and he's like, He's like, I, the guy was just like mortified. He like, didn't even know what to do. And so this poor woman found out that she was So every year. Laz designates someone as the human sacrifice. They get bib number one and it's like a, a, a scene, right? So, um, the press like media is there. There's probably like in this small little picnic table area, like 10 cameras of people lined up, like taking shots from every angle and seeing all this unfold. And so she had a bit more kind of hubbub around her as the human sacrifice, because people definitely wanted to get that photo and stuff. Um, But, and this, her name's like Marina. Marina, is that right? Or I, cause I, I looked her up or like I, someone had linked, they had a thing linked and I was like, and her like race results and she's done like incredible races. Like this is not like a random person from the street. Like this was not no. her first rodeo, but yet she's still exactly. the human and sacrifice. I do wonder, like there were, was a lot of movement in this race. So this is what I would have told myself if I ended up as the human sacrifice in this race was that like the original human sacrifice was one of the people who dropped out and he had to shuffle things around and he had no choice, but to like put my, me there or something. Right. So like you said, I mean, the way she was talking, I didn't think that she like had no place being there. Right. So who knows what went into that decision, but it's just part of, part of the game that you play. Um, so yes, as I went in, I gave him my license plate, um, and got my check-in materials, which is basically like a course manual. And, um, he also then on the other table has unfolded his master map. And basically when he did that, so we were under like a tent overhang as it's pouring rain. And he's basically like, this map is not waterproof. So if you guys get it wet, it's your problem. Yeah. So I decided to go with the camera photo and then go back to a dry area to like transcribe the tent or the the map because you basically have to bring your own map um that you get from the park office like down the road so you have your own map and you create your map based on the master map and those instructions he just gave you so my plan i was like there's too much moisture out here so i'm going to take as like photos of it obviously you can never like post those photos or anything but it was an, it is an easy way to like have then the photos to transcribe to your own map when you're like somewhere dry somewhere you can trust because yeah i mean if you mess it up then it's like i wasn't going to be the one to mess up the master map that's for sure um and i didn't have it's not like i bought a stockpile of other maps in my for myself either so um i wanted to make sure when i finally sat down to do it i did it right um but yeah i think you know, had it been drier, I think people would be milling about more, but it, you know, and I would have hoped to like maybe get to a picnic table with someone and like kind of talk through the course and maybe meet some veterans. But really I was like pretty much solo that day. I had, uh, my boyfriend Matt with me, which was really good because, um, he was able to like work through some of the, the course instructions and the map with me, but it was, pretty much on my own. I knew like one other guy racing, he came by for a minute and he had just arrived pretty late. And so he was like in a rush. He's like, do you know what you're doing? I'm like, nope. He's like me either. And we're both like, oh no, we go in our tents and like get worried by ourselves. Um, so I kind of spent part of the afternoon, like basically I, my strategy was like, I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to read everything. I'm going to look at the map and not like even begin to make my map until later. Um, because he gives you these course instructions and it's like, 
six pages of three pages front and back of just words, like a word doc. Like if someone printed out their senior book report and gave it to you, like that's what it looks like. And again, that can't get wet either, right? Because you need to take it out with you, right? So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, I need to protect all of these things and keep them nice um, and figure out strategies for all of this. So my strategy was to kind of get back to the tent, like digest it all, start to like really let it sink in. And then we actually took a break from that because there's a potluck, Haley. There's a potluck. The oh, food. Food. Yay. And food. There's food. So it's like chicken. Basically they take frozen chicken and throw it onto a grill and cook it. And so I guess there's like, you hear stories of the early days where the chicken doesn't actually cook and then they just hand you frozen chicken. So it's like, again, this is one of those things I was like trying to figure out do we eat the chicken? Is this oh. just like a show? Oh, like I didn't really know. So <laughs> I knew that if nothing else, like I brought something at, like we made a quinoa salad that I was like, okay, this is totally good to eat. There were a few other things that looked totally safe to eat. And then we had some other food, but I wanted to go to the potluck to like talk to some people, meet some people. Um, I think that was where I met Keith Dunn maybe. Um, Keith Dunn is, he's like a long time Barkley um, staple. I think he actually has run it back in the day, like in the very beginnings of the race time. And he now is like known as the guy that, I mean, he has like 50,000 followers on Twitter or something like an insane amount of people follow him for content about fish, like P H I S H the band and Barkley. Like those are the things he tweets about. So his followers fall into like one of those two buckets basically. And he loves the race. I mean, loves it, loves it, knows everything about it. Laz has him and then a handful of other people who are kind of like his staff that helped this production go off. And so I kind of was able to figure out who that crew is and get eyes on like people like Danger Dave and Frozen Ed. Like Laz loves to give nicknames to people. And so if you really study the race, you have heard of these people and you finally get to put like names to faces, which was pretty cool. Um, So we ate at the potluck, went back, and then it was time to get serious, like transcribe the map, waterproof the map. I had packing tape, so we had to like waterproof the whole map, um, waterproof all the instructions, try and come up with like how I was going to carry it and navigate and things like that and have my hands free. Um, And then I basically was like laying everything out, but I still didn't know what time the race started. So we had to have a plan like, okay, if the conch blows between 11 and 3, then this is the plan and this is what I'll pack in my pack. And if it blows between three and six, this is the plan between six and nine, nine and 12, you know, because every chunk of time you get later changes your pre-race meal, changes what clothes you need on the loop, changes if you need to bring lights and batteries, changes all of these things, right? So I had to have that all kind of mentally sorted out beforehand so that because you only have an hour to then prep once you know what time it's starting, um, we could just like rock and roll once that was going. and. Um, we went to bed, it quieted down in the campground around like eight. And I think I got to bed pretty well, like around eight 30. And then around three, I woke up and I was like, not heavily asleep, but I like, I think I would have heard if something was happening. And then around three, I started to hear like a lot of things happening. And I was like, okay, I have to get up and see if I like missed it. Like what's going on. Cause basically what happens is like, someone gets up to go to the bathroom then someone else sees lights and then someone else sees lights. And then all of a sudden you have all these people getting up being like, is something happening? You know, (laughs) is it started? Are we about to go? And so that like set chain reaction definitely happened a bunch more. Like people were getting antsy in the later parts of the night and, um, woke up finally was like at six 30. I was like, I got to get out of bed and we're just going to start the day. And, um, shortly after that, like six 54, I think was when, he finally blew the conch, which signaled one hour till race start. And we could then like start rocking and rolling, get my pack packed. Um, I went to pick up my watch. So you have to carry like the provided watch, which is basically an $8 and 88 cent Casio watch he got from Walmart. And you can't carry any other devices or watches or anything like that. So you go and pick that up race morning and it's set to race time. So at that point you are it's set so that like basically at 2400 is race start on your, your watch now. So you can always keep track of that and keep track of kind of where you are, um, during the race with that. Um, okay. So you know, the cutoff and 
Yeah. But, and so, yeah, he did give me bib number 13, which I was excited about Haley because that is one I'm June 13th is my birthday. So 13 always been a number I like. Um, I think, I guess some people think it's like an unlucky number, but I was excited to have that. I thought that was a good sign. I thought it was a great sign too. when I saw that. So what was the start like? 7.54 AM. Um, it, I believe it was like pretty decent weather at that time. It had stopped raining. Did you like sprint off the start line? It's way more hectic than it needs to be like way more hectic than it needs to be. So it was perfect weather. It was really nice. Um, and I was actually standing next to probably one of the best ultra runners in the world right now, Courtney DeWalter. And I was like, Ooh, I'll just do what Courtney does. And then we got like funneled into the, basically you have the gate in front of you. You start behind the gates. And then he says, he lights the cigarette, you go. And everyone then has to like go around the gate, which is super awkward. And Courtney and I are basically just like bumping into each other being like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. Oh my God, I'm sorry. Oh my God, I'm sorry. And so, um, it, I was like, well, if she's not sprinting off ahead, then I don't need to sprint off ahead. That's for sure. But some people were definitely sprinting off ahead. Um, and it's the race this year, there was a little course change. So it started out like hard, like hard, hard, hard with the climb, um, from the beginning and it got, but I think people were so excited. I think it like made it feel and actually was harder than it needed to be. But yeah, like people, I was ready for it to be hard from the start, but like people go out hard from the start. It's pretty chaotic until you get through really at least the first book. Um, after the first book, people decided to take different directions after that. And so it got less chaotic, but definitely like down to the first book at the, at the first book, um, there was a line, like I waited in a line of probably six people pulling their page and then sprinting away, pulling. And I mean, Haley, they pull a page and like sprint, like sprint away. And I'm like, what? Oh, so it's not like they don't want you to hang out with them. Like it is like, not really. I mean, I, I had my eyes on a few veterans that I knew had reputations for being helpful for reputations for finishing course loops around the time I was hoping to finish a course loop, that kind of thing. And they were very nice, but like, I think actually one of them said to me, like, and not in context to waiting for, like, it's not like I asked him to wait for me and he said this, but he was saying it in reference to something else, but he said the Barkley waits for no one. Right. So, I mean, they're going and if you want to hang, you can try and hang, but like, yeah, they're not gonna, they're not gonna give it to you on a silver platter by any means. So you tear out page 13 from that first book. How do you store the pages to make sure you didn't lose them? Cause I, I mean, I was following Keith's tweets and I know that lost pages happen. This was like a big theme of the year, actually lost pages. And I had a really good system. So I was wearing an Ultraspire pack and it was like the Zygos, I think, model, which I really like. Um, and I actually picked that one because it had enough room for everything I would want to take. But then it also had this like zipper pocket on the top of my shoulder. And that I felt very secure about because I've had zipper pockets kind of like under my armpits and I like those for snacks. But sometimes I've had those come unzipped a little bit here and there and like I just didn't trust that as much as I tr- trusted something on top of my shoulder that I could constantly be like eyes on. Yes, that zipped all the way. It's closed. It's shut sort of thing. So it was almost as if they made that pack like with the Barkley in mind, like this is where your pages go. That was how I felt when I saw the pack. And so it looked like eventually you kind of formed a quartet with, I think it was Ian Ferris, who was a veteran and two rookies, Anna Carlson and Johanna Bagdell from, I think they're both from Sweden. Can you, can you tell us about the group? Yeah. So, um, in that first initial time I heard Anna and Johanna talking, (laughs) I could hear their little Swedish chatter. And this was actually like instilled some panic in me because I was like, I'm like, they're like nose breathing, chit chattering up this climb. And I'm like dying, like, uh uh-oh, what I have been way over my head. And they're just like chitter chatter. I can't understand a word. No idea what they're talking about. Swedish, Swedish, Swedish. Right. So I was like, oh my goodness gracious. Like these women are like, really fit. So we get to the first book, they were slightly ahead and I saw them go a different way. And I was like, I don't think that's the right way. And I knew neither of them had been at the Barkley before. So I was like, okay, well I'm with, you know, my group here, I'm going to stay with them. And I was with like three guys, I think at that point. And one of them was a veteran I trusted quite a bit. So, um, I thought that was good. And It wasn't until, so I actually stayed with that group for a little bit. 
um, until I think the veteran with us got a little antsy and turned the burners on and basically decided to drop us all. And so then we whittled down to like two. Um, and somewhere after that, maybe around book five, just after book five, I heard it, the chitter chatter. I heard the Swedish women and I was like, they're catching us back up. So um, they caught back up and we kind of connected and they said, oh yeah, we got really lost, like going to book two. And I was like, yeah, I saw you go the wrong direction. Like, <laughs> you know, that's not, that wasn't the way the, that we were supposed to go. So they were kind of like, you know, we're going to stay in a little pack and work, like do more of a team thing versus like going off on our own. Cause that clearly isn't working too well. So um, they, so yeah. And we had a couple others with us at that point too. And so we were a pretty big group for the next few books. Um, and which was actually really helpful because that middle section, so there's 14 books total. And from book seven to nine, that like middle chunk is really confusing. It's notoriously like one of the harder points on the course, just because the navigation gets really tricky, um, where you are. And so it was good to have a big group. Everyone had like a Everyone had good skill sets um, to bring to how we had to get through that section. It wasn't flawless, but like we worked together really well. We enjoyed each other's company. We probably weren't pushing the pace as much as like we might have in a smaller group, but I think everyone felt really good about the fact that like we just had daylight for that tricky section. So let's like really take our time through it and try and learn it so that when it's nighttime on the next loop, it's not um, as big of an issue as it could be. So we had a pretty big group and then... But by book nine, it was clear that like physical abilities were starting to separate us quite a bit. And so that was really where the four of us um, pulled away. And we did, we had to talk about it at the bottom of one of the climbs. And it was kind of just clear that like our goals were to keep pushing and to go onto further loops. And to do that, like we had to leave some of the people behind. So um I think it was a good decision to do. And that did, it left me with Ian Ferris who had finished in the, in 2021, the year before, um, he had finished a loop and timed out in his second loop. So he was a veteran. And then we had, um, Anna and Johanna who were also two Barkley virgins with myself. And, um, we had a fun dynamic. Like Ian was quite strong physically. He also had the knowledge from the previous year um johanna is a really good orienteer so her nav was like really good but she just struggled sometimes where like we needed to incorporate laz's instructions into the navigation element of it and i mean i would be going back like i'd be completely lost if i went to sweden and tried to navigate based on swedish instructions right and so her english is obviously light years ahead of my swedish but you know, as Laz says, he's like a old hillbilly in the woods. Right. And so it's like his, however he wants to describe something, he will describe it in those instructions. And it's certainly not clear to someone who's not a native English speaker. It wasn't very clear at times to me and I am a native English speaker. So, um, a lot of times what would happen was, would be like, we'd be navigating and I would try and like interpret that. And then sometimes like Anna would then interpreted into Swedish, I think, to like help them kind of digest it further. Um, they could have been saying, I guess, anything they wanted in Swedish, but they were definitely always like on task, I could tell. So they were always talking about <laughs> something with the race when they were talking in Swedish. Um, and they were both really strong physically too. So that was good. I actually felt like for a good part of that loop, I was the one that was like pushing harder than I necessarily would have been to hang on. But I like had, I felt really strongly that that was the group to go with because I felt like they were making good decisions and they were fun to be around and I was having a good time with them. And I, uh, one of the things they might've been talking about was, uh, the scratches on your legs and arms. I, I saw one photo and or I've seen a few photos, but, uh, they looked super scratched up. How were the briars? So they were definitely worse than I anticipated. I mean, I have done a lot of orienteering stuff and, racing where you go off of trail and encounter briars and stuff like that. So I have been quite scratched up from other races, but I don't think I had ever encountered a section where you're literally getting scraped from the briars for a mile and a, a little bit more. And so this year with the course, we actually were going down rat jaw. So it wouldn't have been until loop three that we had to go up rat jaw, the like notorious briar climb. And so 
going down though, I mean, the briars are still there and Haley, they're like up at eye level. Like you're literally holding your arms out in front of your face so that they're not hitting your face the whole time. And then you're running down because you have to make good time and they're just out. And so I was wearing like capri pants and kind of taller socks, but I still had a little bit of skin exposed and my arms were exposed and it was, it was warm. Like that first day was pretty warm. It was in the sixties. So I didn't, I wasn't going to put on more clothes and suffer that way. And I, I swear my skin just also is like very susceptible to getting scratched. And if, I mean, it feels like a million little paper cuts. It's really not pleasant. I had to say, um, I didn't expect to feel like it was as unpleasant as it was, but I don't know. I knew it was coming. It wasn't, it's not something you can avoid. So you just, you would just you wear it. different clothing? Would you go with long sleeves, long pants, maybe a face shield? <laughs> pull out a coat. Pull out a mask. Would, you needed a mask out there. I would hope it was like colder, first of all, but then I would probably wear pants next time, I think. Um, I have since had some trouble. So, Haley, I have posted a couple pictures of this on my Instagram, and I thought that what happened was I. I had the scratches and then I thought just through crawling through the woods that I had poison ivy because like my legs were itchy. They got like really burny for a couple days. It was like really uncomfortable. They're really red. It's like the rash of some kind and it just wasn't getting better. And Haley, I've never had poison ivy and all the time <laughs> that I've been around in the woods and I do a lot of things playing around in the woods and I don't even know what poison ivy looks like, I don't think. So like, it's not like I've been actively avoiding it in other times, right? So I know I've come across it and I just didn't think I was allergic to it. So anyway, the rash wasn't getting better. And Haley, I'm I'm saying this is actually like a pretty serious thing. And so I want our listeners to know that it, it is very serious, but it's not poison ivy. I went to the doctor today. It's actually cellulitis. So I managed to get like a bacteria infection where the briar scratches were on my legs. And I don't know how that happened exactly. Um, I think it just kind of happens. But the good news is, I took myself to the doctor and I got antibiotics and I should be okay um, here in the next 24 hours or so, but it's definitely something I have to like closely monitor um, because it, it can be really, really bad. So we don't want it to be really, really bad. Are you in pain? No, but I'm constantly, like I've been talking to you now for a couple hours and I'm scratching my legs like this whole time. It's very itchy. <laughs> oh, gosh. And the problem is, is like you're like itching and it's underneath the scratches. So you're like itching scabby scratches which is like I mean it's just a mess like I I feel like I'm like going to the doctor I was like I am a mess like I just need to tell you this before I show you what's going on on my legs <laughs> and um, was she like was the doctor like what did you do and you're like I mean they're like marathon. you ran a race and I was like yeah you seen it's like a not on a, it's not really a, and then they were like well did you at least finish and I was like no <laughs> That's okay. 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 Going, uh, going back to the race and the finish and why this race, uh, uh, not finishing is still a very big badge of honor. Um, I mean, I hope your, I hope your legs do heal, but Lisa, if you need, if we need to take a, a scratch break, let me know, or like a antibiotic break, um, just keep me posted. I don't want to contribute to, uh, your discomfort here, but you, you, you did finish, you finished a loop, which is a huge deal. You fin you're a Barkley loop finisher. I think you finished that first loop in around 10 hours, which is, is fast. Um, I mean, did you ever get lost? Did you ever have trouble finding a book? Did it feel like that 10 hours just flew by. Cause it's, it's around like 20 ish miles. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it felt like it went by very fast, but also you're so tired. You're like, Oh gosh, like this is, you know, that felt like a lot, but also a little. Um, and we did, we had moments of getting lost. Not, I wouldn't say lot. Like we always knew we were in the right spot. We had, we struggled the most sometimes with locating the book. Um, which is like ultimately why they say having like a veteran with you is really helpful. And Ian was helpful because like a lot of times he'd be like, this isn't the spot, but like he necessarily didn't have the memory to like lead us to the actual right spot. But like he knew, you know, he was able to kind of guide us in some ways and be like, this looks familiar. This doesn't look familiar. Um, because sometimes, you know, you're told that it's under a rock. And there's, you look around where you're supposed to be and there's like 50 freaking rocks around. And so <laughs> you're like, all right, we just pick up everyone until we find the one the book is under. And it might, it's like literally like under the rock. So it's not like it's sitting there with like a balloon and a flag on it being like, here's the book. This is, you know, surprise, you made it. So 
that was tricky. Like it's a, just a time suck, you know? And if you aren't like paying attention a hundred percent of the time, then you're just like screwing yourself for the next loops because you're going to be there again. Um, and a lot of the time too, though, we did like a really good job because this year you were running two loops clockwise then you'd be running two loops counterclockwise. So we did our best to like stop every now and then turn around, look at what it looked like from the other direction and be like, this is what it, cause it, I mean, you know, we've all run our runs on our local trails and they look completely different one direction to the next, you know? So we had to really take our time, I feel like, in certain places and make sure that we were doing those kinds of things. But I felt like we came through in 1015 and it was like right about what I expected. Like we didn't have to dig ourselves into a hole to do that. Um, but it also, it was like fast enough that I think multiple loops would have been possible, um, but slow enough that we weren't burning matches too much. And we, uh, as followers on Twitter, watching Keith's tweets, we did get an update that you, you know, I think when you made it to the tower, there was a a, a tweet that came out. Were, were there people out like on the course cheering, spotting? Um, I mean, I imagine it's pretty lonely, but did you get to see people? Did you um, have any any interaction with, with normal folk? <laughs> so the only place that people, I mean, the park is technically open, so there could be people out, but um, one of the reasons Laz try like keeps the date secret and asks that people don't like widely publicize it is to keep that to a minimum. Um, and then one of the places he lets people go to spectate is the fire tower. But once you're at the fire tower, you are limited to, you can't be crewing. And he, um, you know, says that is anything basically other than like clapping your hands and saying, good job. So Matt was up there and, but he couldn't say, oh, you guys have another group ahead of you five minutes. Like he, none of that information could get passed. Um, I guess we could say something out loud and he could hear it, but he literally isn't allowed to respond. That's considered crewing. So you have a ton of people. There were probably like 30 people up there with cameras and everyone is cheering and it's fun. And you're like refilling your water and whatever. Um, but it, it's like, it feels a little chaotic. And then just as quickly, you're like down rat jaw and out of that again by yourself. So, um, but it is like a nice little pick me up to look forward to. However, I will say that after I was done, um, Jasmine Paris, who went on to finish three loops and finish the fun run, Matt and I hiked back up to get to see her at the fire tower on her third loop. And there was no one else up there. <gasps> so it gets quiet. Like as the race goes on, people kind of have to get back. They go, they, you know, like not everyone's staying for the whole time for whatever reasons. And it's a hard hike. <laughs> it's a hard hike up there. You know, I mean, you have to go three and a half miles and it's like a three and a half miles straight up. Right. So um, it's not like you can drive up there and then like sit and wait. So it's effort to get to do that. And um, it was, you know, it was, I will say her husband also made this trek up there. He got there. Um, so I don't want to throw him under the bus because Conrad was definitely up there too. He was doing that every loop for her. Um, but, you know, it quiets down, which is, which is, good to know. And I don't, and Matt had made it up there anticipating me being there for the second loop and it was pouring down rain and freezing and he, there was no one up there then. Right. So, um, it definitely, it can be, yeah, most of the time you're never going to see anyone. Barkley crewing sounds like Barkley crewing or like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what you would expect. Um, so, so what was it like when you, when like you finished that first loop, you said 10, 15, I think, Keith tweeted that you were out at 10, 18. Did you only spend three minutes in camp? Oh, um, maybe I read no, that. Maybe wrong. we got in further. We might've gotten in sooner than I thought then I haven't looked at all the numbers, but we spent, so going in, running down into camp, you actually have like three miles of runnable trail to get to camp at that point. So at the end we were able to kind of like assess ourselves. We were like, yes, we definitely want to stay together. This is like a good group. Let's all head out together and are you okay with like a short break yes yes and I was like okay what a short break mean to everyone else and Anna was like 10 minutes and I was like boom you're my kind of woman because 10 minutes is definitely a short break I was afraid people would be like 30 minutes but no so 10 minutes was perfect that was like our from the last person's pages getting counted we would take 10 minutes because you like can't leave that gate area until last counts your pages gives them back to you and then says like okay so um we didn't want anyone to get shorted on their minutes so we agreed to take 10 minutes i think we actually ended up taking like a minute or two more just because we were like not all quite ready yet but 
Um, that was our goal was to get in and out quickly because darkness was coming. The rain was coming. Um, all of that bad weather was coming. And so we just wanted to like get in and out and keep moving. So, so, okay. And do you, do you get to keep the pages as a souvenir? Yeah, I have them here. Oh, I know. <gasps> Real Barkley pages. I know. Were any of the books right? fun titles? Like, uh, they all fun are titles? definitely picked like for their titles. Um, some don't have the title still on them to see, but like one is called Walking on the Happy Side of Misery. Um, are you going to frame know, these? Inferno is there. Um, a Slow Walk to Hell. Um, I don't know if I'll frame them, but I'll definitely keep them, um, which is like a lot for me because I usually don't keep stuff like this. This one says like, you will surely not die. So they're good titles. Do you have yeah. any desire to like find the books and read them? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually walking on the happy side of misery is, I guess, a book about like someone who threw hiked the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, oh, oh. I think I would like to read that book. So um, I might read that. This one's how to stay alive in the woods. So he definitely picks like funny ones that you get to and you're like, oh, thanks, Laz. Like this is this is something you know it's the right book it's not some random book but um yeah okay so you mentioned earlier loop one and two they're both clockwise direction and so loop one you did during the day and loop two you knew night was coming and rain a lot of rain a lot of rain tell what was it like heading back out there how long did you have until like it got dark and did anything look familiar um, so we actually made it up that first climb without turning lights on, which was nice. Um, and I think we were like happy about that. And then we kind of said our goal was to get to the third book, um, before the rain really started because the location of the third book really depended on being able to navigate the stream and tell where the stream intersects with other streams and things like that. And it also had, you had to be able to find this like island basically that doesn't exist if there's high water. So if it started raining a lot and the water starts rushing, you don't get to see the island anymore. That's like one of the landmarks to help you kind of navigate through this. And so, um, sure enough, or I guess that was book four that we wanted to get to before the high water. And so sure enough at book three, it's like the rain starts coming and we're like, ah, we were so close. Um, but things have been going well in the dark. We were definitely slowing down because of the darkness. Um, but we were finding books still. So we were in good spirits, you know, like it was, it was okay. Um, so we leave book three, we start heading to book four. Actually, I did miss a big, um, big part of this. So we were in good spirits, but some things had started happening that were indicating like our days were getting more or our time was getting more not so good, I guess. So when we took out our rain stuff at book three to put our rain jackets on, um, Anna looked in her bag and she was just like, I don't have a <gasps> raincoat. And so her crew had like packed and repacked her bag and forgotten to put the rain jacket in. And so, I mean, God bless her. She handled it like a champ. There was like no complaining. It was like, all right, well, I guess this is what I'm doing. Instead, she took out her emergency blanket and just cut a hole, put her head through, wrapped her emergency blanket around her. I was like, I guess this is what I have to try and stay dry, you know? Um, so we leave there, we're heading downhill and it's getting super, super slippery. And I slip at one point, which is like not unusual. We were all slipping all the time, but just the way it happened, um, my pole went under me and then my butt, when I came down, oh. came down on my pole. And so my <gasps> pole snapped in half. Oh. So the trekking poles, which are like crucial pieces of kind of gear for this, because there's so many climbs where you have to dig your poles in to be able to step up because it's just so steep and so slippery that if you don't have that grip, like you're just not going to get up the climb. So I then broke my pole, um, which was not great, but I knew I had spare poles back at camp. Like if I could just make it through the loop, it would be okay. Um, so, and I, I was like relieved that in the time after that, I wasn't like getting dropped or anything by them with only one pole. So I was like, okay, like I'm going to stay positive. This is fine. Like we can make this work still, you know? And then we ended up finding the book we thought was going to be really confusing. It took us a little while, but like we found it. So you know, we were still kind of things were looking up, even though I think all of us were like, oh, this is also this is book really four, the book four that you found. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So heading to book five, though, is when things really got awry. Um, we got a little turned around 
and right in the moments. So basically what happens is like, especially in a group, when you're turned around, you all have to stop and kind of like chat, like about where you are, what your game plan is, where you're going to go. And the rain and the cold, it was probably in the high thirties, I think maybe mid thirties, especially on top of the mountains, kind of where we were climbing up. And so it was freezing. It was really windy and it was wet. And, um, I had put on all of my stuff that I had for the rain at that point, but I had not, I didn't bring like my mountain gear out, which probably I was what I needed to have stayed warm during that time. Um, and as we stopped to kind of assess the navigation and figure out what we were going to do, the three women, we all just got like really, really cold all at once. Um, and Haley, you know, when your hands go, it's like your body goes, like, there's not too much you can do to get yourself back from that. And knowing that the rain was going to continue all night and knowing it was probably only going to get colder for a little bit. Um, the fog also rolled in at that moment. And like, literally we looked around, we had no idea where we were. We were cold. And it was like, the only thing I could think was like, the only thing I want more, I, I think this is the right way to say it. The only thing I want more than to be a woman who finishes multiple loops at Barkley is to like not be the woman who needs to be the first person rescued at Barkley, right? Like, and that is kind of a responsibility you take on when you do a race like the Barkley Marathons because it's a race that is, um, you know, relies on the competitors bringing themselves back, right? There is a 100% self-extraction rate from this race. No one's ever had to get rescued and that is because Laz picks people who are capable of doing that and take that like responsibility very seriously. And I think if that were to ever change, I think the race could be in jeopardy, you know? So, um, that was not a burden <laughs> that I was going to, to put on anyone. And so I don't even think we had much of a conversation, but it was basically like, we can't do this. Like if, you know, I knew in my head, at least that, my hands weren't going to warm up from the state they were in without like intervention. And if I didn't have hands, I wouldn't be able to navigate. I wouldn't be able to eat. I wouldn't be able to change the batteries in my headlamp, which weren't going to last the 12 hours of darkness that we had. Um, you know, like I was, I wouldn't be able to do it like just point blank. Right. So I had basically accepted that for myself. And then when I said like, I'm not going to be able to get myself warm. The other two women were immediately like, yeah, we, this is like, this is not safe. Um, Anna's a mountain guide in Sweden. And she's like, I've been in mountain situations. And she's like, this is something I would make people go back in from like, this is dangerous, you know? So um, we all just felt we had reached kind of our limit of safety with that. And Ian, Ian felt differently. Ian, I think was just a little warmer than both all of us. And he, I think also had the prior year getting timed out during loop two kind of in his head that he wanted to continue on no matter what. So he was going to go on and the three of us were going to go back to camp. And Haley, the like hardest thing about deciding to go back is also realizing that you're still really lost <laughs> and you don't know how to get back to camp. So we, uh, had to really, and like, you know, when you're cold, your brain stops working as well. So we had to really regroup, really kind of come up with a plan of like which direction to head, which we thought we would hit a trail eventually. And it took us probably 30 minutes of like wandering around um, before we came to somewhere that we knew as like a landmark. And then it was an hour from there back to camp running. And when you made the decision, when you couldn't find book five, like what was your, what was your total time then? Do you know? Do you remember? Um, We had been out. So Yes, because I think at that point we had been out for 15 hours or so. Um, and so that was the other thing too. I realized we were approaching five hours and we were still two books behind where we were at four hours on loop one. So we had slowed down quite a bit. Um, and I think that too, to me was like, and we were also kind of at a point on the course where if you go on, you're just only further away. Like you're not around kind of the loop to head back yet. So if we went on and things did get worse, we were going to have longer to get back, which was, you know, going to make it harder and more dangerous, I think for us to <clears throat> try and get ourselves back. So, um, I think it was just pretty clear that in those conditions, like we just weren't prepared for what was thrown at us. 
So how many hours until you actually got back to camp? Do you remember what time that was? I think we got back around 17 hours of racing. Yeah. Okay. So it and, was a long time. And so what, <laughs> what did you do then? I mean, do they have warm showers there? They do. Or so like, actually they have you really up? nice campground bathrooms. Um, and they have showers that are warm and plenty of warm water because we all took really long, hot showers. Um, I had to get word to Matt who had already left to go up to the fire tower. And so I basically had to find a friend who had a working cell phone who could send a text that said like, Alyssa's safe. She's back at camp so that he would eventually see it. He was having quite an adventure, um, on his own up at the fire tower because he was like the lone soul up there and running into people who were all also quitting. Um, he saw the guy whose page blew away in the wind and, he was up there. Um, he also like ran back down to camp with Gordy DeWalter and Harvey Lewis, who had had a similar thing. They were just um, two books ahead when they got lost and had to find their way back to camp as well because they got too cold. Um, so he, you know, it's not every day you get to run back with Gordy DeWalter. So he got to have that experience. Um, and eventually, yeah, he got back. I had finally warmed up in the shower. And then other than like my briar scratches, which I now think was the cellulitis infection <laughs> making me feel awful that night, um, I was I was okay. And it was like, you know, so many people were kind of having that similar story that we were all like, oh, this is every bit of what we thought it was. And and uh, someone plays taps, right? When you come in, is that how you get <laughs> greeted? Yes. So Dave, Danger Dave is like the taps guy. And then if he's sleeping or something, they have this other guy who they call Alt Dave, like <laughs> Alternative Dave, which I don't think Dave is even his name. But which one did you get? Him. And so I don't. I think we had Alt Dave actually because we. So you, we got in. We were so cold, and he's like, "We have to tap you out." And I'm like, "Do we get one taps for all three of us?" He's like, "Nope, three taps." Yes. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" So the first two went off fine, and then the third, the guy's like, the trumpet's like. Brr, brr, brr. And then he's like, sorry, sorry. He's like, let me start over. And I'm like, no, 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 it's actually fine. <laughs> like for me, this is like, I just need to get warm. So, um, so yeah, that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> and so I'm assuming you got some food and then you hiked back out to go see, and maybe some rest. I guess you had a little bit of time, but then you hiked back out to go see Jasmine. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was a while. So that loop we were able to see Jasmine come through her second loop which was incredible I mean she came back from a cold cold wet cold wet night and looked in good spirits you know and she's British so I swear they like have a little more experience than me in the cold cold conditions and she had everything dialed in that she looked fine and she's like dropping off her wet gear, changing, you know, in and out very quickly after a night like that, which was very impressive. So she went out quickly onto that third loop. And then, yeah, we left pretty quickly, not too quickly, I guess, after that um, to hike up so that we could catch her at the fire tower. And it was clear once we saw her at the fire tower, just with timing, because then she was on the reverse loop. And um, we could tell that she was slowing down a little bit too. So, um, we knew she would be over the time limit for a fourth loop, but she was definitely, if things stayed good, like going to get in for that fun run. So that was really exciting. Um, and the, the like time limit for her to do the fun run was 1154 PM that night. So everyone who was still left in camp was like trying to rally to stay up to get to see this because this was like a historical moment for the race. We hadn't had uh, since like 2013, I think a woman hadn't finished a fun run. So it was a big thing and it came down. So the last hour, there were two folks out on loop four and then two coming, we were waiting for from loop three to finish their fun runs. And we see one headlamp come in and it was Thomas, the other guy out for the fun run. And so that was like just under an hour or so left. And so we're like, oh man, like where's Jasmine? Where's, we were just hoping they would be together or something. Right. And we're sitting there and we actually like 30 minutes to go, 20 minutes to go. And then we see a headlamp come down and it's like coming in the wrong direction. And I'm like, oh no. 
And that ridge is actually called, Laz calls it wrong way ridge. And it's, he named it that way for Gary Robbins mistake. Um, when Gary Robbins came down the wrong way in 2018, I guess, when he just missed his finish on his fifth loop. And so, um, it's a tricky little section. I mean, I, in the dark, especially, and basically you have to come down make one little final turn to go around a Creek or over a Creek and then come down. And Laz is, we're just watching her come down and we're all knowing like, it's not going to count if she comes down this way. And then she knew though, like I, I saw the headlamp turn around and I saw her correct the mistake. And then she dropped down, she crossed the Creek and we're all just like dying. I mean, like, so I was so happy. Cause like, I knew that meant she knew, you know, exactly what she needed to do. She just got a little turned around, but, um, so she comes in and Laz looks at her. He's like, did you cross the Creek? And she was like, yes. And we were like, oh, thank goodness. Like <laughs> she had 11 minutes to spare. She could have gone back up and crossed the Creek anyway, but she, she knew, um, she did it right. And it was, and it was a really fun, dramatic finish, like icing on the cake, I guess for that. And that is amazing. Big congratulations to Jasmine Paris for for finishing those three loops, fun run, uh, within, I think it was 40 hours mm -hmm. or something. I, I don't know if I have all my cutoffs right. Did you stick around for the other two guys? No one finished, spoiler alert, anyone, but no one finished five loops. Did you stick around until I think it was Carl and Greg came in? We didn't actually because we had the 16-hour drive. Um and I, if Jasmine was going out on a fourth loop or fifth loop, we would have been sticking around, but, um, I was okay following the men's race from Twitter with everyone else while we drove. Um, but it did seem like that was dramatic too. I mean, this, uh, this race is so funny. Like those things that happen with Carl getting lost, thinking a trash can was a human going up to the trash can, getting the sheriff called as like a suspicious person going through town on him in the middle of the night the sheriff having to come pick him up and drive him into camp. Like those things just only would happen at the Barkley really. Um, and it's just, it's just priceless. So, um, yeah, I think it was not without drama, but it was without finishers this year. Do you want to try again? I think I will, um, try to get in again. I think we never know who Laz is going to pick to line up, but I think we, I understand now more than ever too, that it's like a race that once you see things, you can prepare better, you can do a little bit better. Um, and I think I learned a lot and I think Laz definitely like appreciates that that is a part of the race, the learning curve. So I'm hopeful I'll be able to get in, in a future year sooner than later, but, um, but we'll see. Well, I had so much fun following you. Um, you know, thank you for the entertainment. It was one of those things. I think I, uh, woke up, you know, Tuesday morning and I'm like checking and I was like, Oh my goodness, there's because I'm two hours behind. So I think it was, I was like, they're starting. And then, you know, Wednesday morning at the pool, we're chatting about it. So super fun for those of us following at home. And, uh, you know, even though it's a challenging race to follow, it's, you know, there's some mystique and, and it was fun having, knowing someone who was there. So thank you so much for sharing your story and, um, please, please, keep us posted on your cellulitis um, because I, I, I'm not prepared to host this podcast on my own next week. So um, no, that's selfishly, but also we got to see you go back and like, and uh, you know, you have, you, you, you have some books to find still. Yeah. Next time I think I'm going to have to like wet wipe myself or something and like take it, wear pants and like really clean, clean myself. So if anyone has tips on avoiding, whatever bacteria I managed to pick up. I think too, once you have it, you're like more susceptible to it. So I don't know. I have, I do like, it does make me a little nervous, but, um, I think, you know, it's definitely not going to stop me. I just have to make sure I'm prepared. Oh man. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on, for talking about it so much. And we'll let you go get some rest and, uh, food. Cause I can't imagine like, that's the kind of thing, you know, 17 hours out there and the cold and all that you gotta be, you gotta be recovering and hard for like weeks to come. I definitely am not, you know, going to turn around and start doing anything crazy anytime soon. It was, it was super fun. It's crazy because you get there, you really have no service. So you're, you're totally cut off from everything. And then to come back to the world and to find out that like my triathlon sphere was super into the race and was following and was cheering and was supporting. Cause I forgot that like most people didn't know I was racing, you know? And so it was really fun to come back and to realize how many people were rooting for me and, um, just got into the race in general who maybe hadn't even known it existed. I think, um, I think it's a really fun adventure. And even if the Barclays not something you set your sights on, 
you know, getting out and having adventures. I, if the least I can do is hopefully inspire people to maybe be doing that. So, um, so it meant a lot to have you following and cheering and to get to do this episode. Hopefully people like hearing some of the details, um, because yeah, I like sharing them. Yeah. It inspired me. And I will admit, like, I think I had a, uh, like an hour run that day and it was a little chilly out and I was like, tough enough, uphill. you got to get out there. And, um, and so, you know, I was like, it's one hour and then you're going to come back and take a nice warm shower and crawl into a nice warm bed and eat nice warm food. I'm like, you got it really easy here. So, um, you were motivating, you were motivating folks for sure. But Alyssa recover well, and thank you again. And I, uh, I look forward to chatting with you next week. Hopefully, uh, a little less itchy. Yeah. Yeah. And good luck in Chile and let us know how it is and race hard, have fun. And I can't wait to hear about that. You have been listening to the iron women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron women is a production of feisty media and is edited and produced by Lindsay Glassford. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Zelio Skincare, Orca Sportswear, and Inside Tracker. You can find all websites and discount codes at ironwomenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.